The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Preach, what, four times a year, about once a quarter. And so Darren had said, hey, what do you want to preach? when do you want to preach next? And if you look on our website, you can see all the upcoming sermons. He says, pick one. And I procrastinated. And then he says, I'm going to be gone this week. You get to preach. Okay. <laughs> and he says, I'm only going to do 15, so you get 16. And it's like, if you want to, or you can preach something completely different. And I said, I'll do 16. And my first thought when I thought of 16 was um, war, wrath, and destruction. Because that's what it is. And I thought, oh, as I study, I'll come up with a different title. Yeah, I didn't. It's, it's awful. So there is a study guide out back in the, on the tables out there if you want to pick one up. Because um, there's stuff in here that I won't cover. There's, there, there's, there's questions on the back, discussion, devotional-type questions that make you stop and think, stop and pray. How do I answer this, um, these questions? So we've been going through Revelation. And one thing that we've noticed is there's a lot of places where God's glory is there. And that's our big idea today. God's glory requires God's wrath. But God's wrath results in God's glory. We read from a couple Psalms this morning already. And we see things that we don't think about the love of Christ. I hate my enemies? What? God, you're going to destroy them and their kids? That doesn't sound very loving, God. But God's love and his hate are way different than ours. And so 16 seems to be doom and gloom. Seven bowls of wrath from God that brings about pain and agony and destruction. But remember, this chapter is in the middle of this book. It doesn't stand alone. What's he leading to? Where did it come from? What did it lead to it? It's just a glimpse. If I just showed you a... A, a, a take from last week's Super Bowl, and all I showed you was San Francisco kicking a field goal to take the lead with a minute 53 to go, and I just stopped there and said, okay, there was the game. Did that tell you the whole picture? No. A lot of stuff happened after that, right? If you just watched, if you watched Lord of the Rings, if you just watched The Two Towers, that's the movie in the middle. Didn't watch the first one, didn't watch, and you just watched that, you'd be very dissatisfied. One, you'd be going, what the heck's going on? And that's an ending? That's not much of an ending. What happens? Well, that's where we are in 16. It's in the middle. There's stuff that happened before. There's going to stuff that's going to happen after. So don't take this chapter just by itself. So like they do on the TV shows, previously in Revelation. What else has happened? I mean, think about it. If you go back to chapter 1, it says, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated by his angel to his bondservant, John. And John said in verse 9, he says, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance, which are in Jesus on the island of Patmos. 
because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And John said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys to death in Hades. We see this. We see this in chapter 4. After these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. John is standing there, and he looks up to heaven, and he sees a door open. What does he see? He sees living creatures giving glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever. And the 24 elders will fall, elders will fall down before him who sit on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever, will cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. You, For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. We see in chapter 5 that the, John says, Then I began to weep greatly because there was no one found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so he can open the book and its seven seals. And we see this over and over, this praise in, in Revelation. We keep on going in chapter 14. And I looked, and behold, the Lamb was standing on the Mount Zion, and behold, 144,000 having his name and, his, and the name of his Father written on their foreheads. And then in 15, in 15.1, it says, There I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last because in them the wrath of God is finished. And then in verses 7 and 8, the last two verses of 15, then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with the smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. So that's where we are. We're in the temple of God. It's filled with his, the smoke, the Shekinah glory of God. It was God so filled that nobody could get in. And that's where chapter 16 starts. And so if you're able, we're going to read chapter 16. If you're able to stand, let's stand as we read chapter 16. I'm reading from the New American Standard today. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the earth, the seven bowls of the wrath of God. And the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and it, was, and it became a loathsome and malignant sore on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. The second, second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became blood like a, that of a dead man, and every living thing in the sea died. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the water saying, Righteous are you who are and who were, O holy one, because you judge these things. 
For they poured out the blood of the saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, the true and righteous are your judgments. Verse 8, the, four, the fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun, and it was given to him to scorch, given to it to scorch men with fire. Men were scorched with fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who was the power over these plagues, and they did not repent so as to give him glory. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became darkened. And they gnawed their tongues because of pain. And they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. And they did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river, the Euphrates. And its, river, its water was dried up so that the way would be prepared for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, one of and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. And from these, and from, and for they are spirits of demons, performing signs, and which go out to the king of the whole world to gather them for the war of the great day of God, the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not go about naked and will, men will not see his shame. And they gathered together in the place, which in Hebrew is called Har Megedon. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air and a loud voice came, up, came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and there was a great earthquake, such as had not been since man came upon the earth, so that so great an earthquake, and what and was, and so mighty, the great city was split into three parts. The cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered before God to give, to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath, and every island fled away. And the mountains were not found. And huge hailstones of about a hundred pounds each came down from heaven upon men, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, because its plague was extremely severe. Yea, how can we praise God with this? Seven bowls of wrath. Let's pray. God, just help your servant this morning and all your servants here as we navigate this scripture this morning. And Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit will be on the hearts and minds of each person here. I pray your Holy Spirit will be upon me. Lord, that it's not my words that change anybody, but it's your Holy Spirit that changes the hearts and minds of people. And that's what we pray for. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So where do you go from this thing? Seven bowls of wrath. None of these are pretty. But one thing I noticed as we went through here, there are four times in this chapter that either God or an angel spoke. And so I think that's important. When God speaks, we better listen. So what did God say? 
So your, your bulletin with the notes is kind of sparse. There's not a lot of places. I'm going to refer to lots of scriptures today. So write these down, unless you have an eidetic memory. Write these down so you can look them up later. Because this scripture is not here by itself. It's, we see it throughout the Bible. The two Psalms that we read, did they think, make you think? When you read this, did you go back and go, oh, that kind of reminds me of those Psalms that we just read, that Jeff and Willie read about God's desire for his wrath, that he has to judge the world, and the judgment has consequences. So what's the first thing God says in verse 1? There was a loud voice from the temple. Well, whose voice was it? It doesn't say specifically it was God, but since God had just said it, God filled the temple, it's God. And because it, it's a commanding voice, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. If God's saying to pour out the wrath of God, that seems kind of weird to us, but this is God. As you read through Scripture, some, sometimes God does that. He refers to himself in a different, in a third voice, third person sometimes. But God is in charge. He, be no mistake, this is not some wayward angels trying to cause some mischief. This is directed by God. He is in charge even when you don't recognize God being in charge or believe it that God's in charge. We've been in Sunday school class, we've been going through Genesis. Both Abraham and Sarah said, God, you have not let me have any kids so far before Isaac was born. They put it on God. They didn't have any children. Job never had a doubt that God was in charge through all that he went through. How can God be in charge when my body is failing in disease? When there's murder and disease, murder and disease are nothing new in this world. Where's the first murder? Genesis 4. This is, they just got out of the garden, and a brother literally kills his own brother. It's nothing new. God follows, God's followers hear and obey his commands. His angels follow. The prophets of old followed. The disciples, the apostles, and Jesus' time followed. And the saints of today, that's you and me. If you were a child of God, you were a saint of God. And we should be following God too. So we get to the first bowl in verse 2. So the first angel poured out his bowl on the earth. He didn't pour it on people. He poured it on the earth. He's like, on the earth? Well, remember the earth back in Genesis, after Adam and Eve sinned, the earth was cursed. Genesis 3.17. God said the earth was cursed. They're going to have to work for their food. They're going to have to deal with drought and weeds. And it ain't going to come easy. In Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 25, it talks about this world is suffering, waiting for God to come and ease its suffering. The whole creation is suffering 
and eagerly awaiting God's return. And we can see that in this world where there are droughts and where there are floods. Things are freezing, things are melting. The world is changing, climate is changing. And talking about climate change is like, when has the climate not been changing? Okay? But even at that, things are changing. The world is suffering, and it causes us to suffer when the world suffers. So where does the first bowl get put? It gets dumped on the earth, the ground. And what happens? There's these great sores. Depending on your translation, what the two adjectives here that describe it, your translations may have different adjectives, but none of them are good. Mine says loathsome and malignant. And whatever translation you have, there ain't any better. These are the these are the word for sores. In this, it's the same sores that was from the plagues of Egypt. Moses and Aaron threw dirt dust up in the air, and it became sores on all the Egyptians. It's the same sores that were on Job when Satan cursed Job and trying to get Job to curse God. It's the same word to describe Job's sores. These aren't pleasant. But what? Are, who? But who? Does the whole world get them? No, just those with the mark of the beast, not the mark of God. Because I just read some of the verses. The mark of God is on the saints' foreheads. If you don't have the mark of the God, you have the mark of the beast. But if you have the mark of God, you're protected at this point in time from this one. And that's all it says. It just says they got these loathsome sores. Nothing else. Boom. Bowl two. Angel came out, poured this bowl. What did it pour? Into the sea, the ocean. That became like blood, like dead men's blood. Everything, everything died. Now, if you remember, if you get the study guide, I put in there all the seals and the, and the trumpets from all the previous ones. And all the previous ones with some, something like this, it said one-fourth or one-third of the creatures died. What's the fraction here? All. There is no fraction. It's all of them, 100%. That's not pleasant. How are we supposed to keep going after this? Well, wait a minute. Verse, then verse 4, the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers. And the spring, so now fresh water. And they became blood. It didn't say black blood. It just says they became blood. And, but then there's more. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, the angel of the waters? There's a few weird sayings in here that we don't see anywhere else in Scripture. Angel of the waters. I mean, there's an angel just for water? Is there an angel of the sky? Angel of space? Angel of Grant, I don't know. We just get a glimpse. It just mentions the title of this one angel, not of all the others. Makes you wonder. But this angel speaks. So here's an angel speaking. It says, righteous are you who are and who were, and depending on your translation, may also add and are to come, but most of the translations don't, but some of them do. O holy one, because you judge these things. So he's given glory to God. God is the righteous judge. For they poured out the blood of the saints and prophets 
You have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. We don't usually think this way with the things of God, do we? Give them what they deserve. Well, God is the judge. We are not. We don't get to give them what they deserve. That is not our job. Our job is not to be vengeful. Yes, we have judges to judge the things in this world, and that's fine. Scripture gives us rights to do that. But this is an eternal punishment. Only God has this right. God has given them what they deserve. They killed Christians, the prophets of old, the saints of the New Testament. Christians are still being killed today in many places in this world just for being a Christian. Mobs in India attack churches. Islamic rebels attack churches in Nigeria, burn the churches down, kill people, keep them as hostages, especially the girls. Not pleasant things. This is who this this angel is talking to. Then it says they deserve it. That word deserve there could be translated worthy. Because back in chapter 4, when it says, Worthy are you, Lord, it's the same word. Worthy are you, Lord, worthy are they for receiving this punishment. It's the same word. God's worthy of our praise for his creation. This group is worthy for destruction because they have killed the saints of God. God does it, we don't. And then verse 7, And I heard the altar saying, there's another word saying, what, the altar's talking? A thing is talking? Now, we know in Scripture, and we do it too, right? We, we say, you know, the radio is talking. The TV is talking. Well, no, not literally the TV. It's sound coming through the TV. So who is this? Is this God? We know previously in Revelation, it says the saints of God are under the altar. Back in, in chapter 14, that the saints of God are under the altar and they cry out. So is it the saints of God who are under the altar? We know in Hebrews, Jesus is described as not only the sacrifice that gets sacrificed on the altar, He's also the priest that is on the altar conducting the sacrifice. So Jesus is on the altar in two different ways. And so we, we do this in our own speak. We, we, you know, I, I, I use symbolic language all the time. I get tired of waiting at an intersection because I have to wait for the light bulb to tell me when I can go. You know, because we listen to light bulbs, right? If it's a red light bulb, you go. If it's a green, or you don't go. You don't go. <laughs> green one, then you can go, right? That's right. <laughs> and so, so we, and this is just, you know, the altar is speaking. But the altar is the altar of God. So it's, somebody, it's either God himself or somebody representing God speaking. Yes, you, Lord God, the Almighty, so it's saying you, God, so it's not God, right? We, we get that from the pronouns. Are true and righteous are your judgments. So it could be the saints of God under the altar that we see earlier in Revelation. And so that's the second point there. 
the second thing. Angels praise God and give us his purpose for his wrath. That's what we see here in verses 5 through 7. That the angels praise God and they give us his purpose. And we see that back in Psalm 21. God had a plan from the beginning. This is not, okay, I got to, this whole thing is not working very well. I got to come up with something new. God knew it. We see that back in, in, in the Old Testament. We see that through the Old Testament prophets. In Jeremiah chapter 2, it says God, God's wrath is justified because people refuse to follow him. In Jeremiah 44, verses 20 to 23, God's patience has run out. It's time for them to suffer the consequences. And God is way more patient than we are. Because we want things to happen now. We want those people who did the shooting on Wednesday, we want them tried right now. We want them convicted now. That ain't the way our justice system works. It's slow. And God, to us, seems to work slow. But it works out in God's time. How many times in your life have you thought God should work quicker, but then you saw the wisdom of it not working so quick? So we get that. So we get the angels. So we get these two vials that are poured out onto the sea and onto the rivers and the spring. So all the fresh water. So the ocean, the fresh water. And then we get the verse 8, the fourth angel. The fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun. So another element of nature. Other places in Revelation, it says the sun gets dark. Here the sun gets hot. Remember how hot it was last August, that week we have about 110 degrees? Okay, now imagine that hotter. Okay, I've never been to Death Valley, but that's, you know, let's get us up to 130 there. You know, I've got to spend a couple summers in the deserts of the Middle East. It gets hot there for a long time, no rain. And that probably isn't as hot as it's going to be for this. Because how do people react? They blasphemed the name of God and did not repent. That shows you this judgment is just. Because sometimes, you know, you know, leaders and rulers throughout the history of this world, you know, they just do petty things to punish people. It says that King Herod the Great, the one that tried to kill Jesus as a baby, when he was dying, he rounded up all the leaders from the nation and put them in the Colosseum in Jerusalem. And his instructions were, when I die, kill all of them so everybody will cry. That was his instructions. Thankfully, he died, and the people who lived did not do that. But that was his instruction. That's petty. I know people aren't going to cry when I die, so I'm going to kill a bunch of people so you'll cry for them. God doesn't work that way. He's not petty. He is righteous. And he's, these bowls of wrath are pouring down. And the people's reaction are not to turn and praise God, which we saw previously in Revelation. We saw some of that, that where people turn to God. Here, they're not. 
They blasphemed God's name and did not repent. The fifth angel, verse 10, poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. This is the only one of these that's not poured on an element in nature. Bowl five is poured on the throne of the beast. And I thought that kind of odd. And then when I did that chart with the other, the, with the trumpets and with the seals, if you look in there, the fifth seal, the fifth one of each one of those is something different. It has something in the, in the spiritual realm. Either it has to do with the saints of God or the demons. It's kind of like, kind of out of order. Why the fifth one? I don't know. I didn't find anything in writing and I didn't look that hard. But it's different. And so this one's not on nature. It's not on the men directly, the mankind. When I say men in this chapter, I'm talking about mankind, all of us. This one's on the throne of the beast, on Satan himself. And his kingdom, instead of becoming a brighter, happier place, it becomes a darker, more painful place. People chew on their tongues. I sometimes, when I'm anxious, I'll chew on the inside of my cheeks until it starts to hurt, and then I quit. That's just anxious. They call it stemming, maybe. You know, people just drum their fingers or something. Some, some of us, like, chew on ourselves. That's weird, but it's what we do. Um, I am not the only one in the world. Some of you can, can say, oh, I did that. So. But this is worse than that. This isn't some just nervous tick. They are in such agony, they're gnawing on their tongues. That's not a pleasant picture. Then we get to the sixth one, verse 12. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river, Euphrates, and it dried up. Why? So the king, to prepare the way for the kings of the east... Well, who are the kings of the beast? Yes, I've seen all the charts. I, that's not what... It, and it may be that... It may, You know, China could get a 200 million man army. Well, that's not the issue here. East is the issue. We're going through Genesis in Sunday school class. Notice every time East is mentioned in Genesis, when East is mentioned, is somebody is going away from God. When Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden, they went east. When Cain left, he went east. Lot went east. The sons of the, the, the sons of Ishmael and the other sons of Abraham, that named Isaac, went east. East is going away from God. These are armies that are not from God. Whatever national flag they're flying when this happens doesn't matter they're not from god and they're coming to attack god's people that's why they're coming that's why they're collecting and we know it's not from god verses 13 and 14 kind of um, give us that it's more than that it's what's happening. We get this spiritual picture of the dragon and the beast and the false prophet, which we've seen in previous chapters. They're all here. And they send out their own prophets. 
that look like frogs, I guess. I don't know. Frogs are not pleasant creatures if you really think about it. Was that, isn't that one of the plagues of Egypt? Frogs infested the land. It was terrible. It was awful. Then they all died and stunk up the place. So picture that, the plagues of Egypt, frogs, not the, oh, I like hearing the frogs down by the creek. That's, that's a great thing. But think about a whole bunch of frogs in your house. You wouldn't like that. That'd be awful. And that's the kind of frogs these are. These are pest frogs. They're frogs from Satan himself that look like prophets of God, doing the things that look like they should be from God, but they're not. They're mimicking God, but they're not from God. And they're preparing the people for a war, for a battle. Doesn't matter if it's a literal battle or a spiritual battle. They're preparing people for that. And then we get to verse 15, which is just kind of weird. A lot of, a lot of translations put verse 15 in parentheses because it's like it's an aside. And it's God, Jesus talking. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. When Jesus speaks to John and to all Christians of all time to remain vigilant and diligent and to walk with God. He uses some weird word pictures. Keep your clothes on. But in the Jewish culture, shame was a real thing. And nudity was shame. That's why in the prophets in the old, it says they had no shame anymore. It was a big deal. Why it's a big deal with Noah and his sons that they saw him. And, they didn't, and, and the one son didn't have shame. And so this is a, and, and if you, um, as we go through Genesis, or as you go through Revelation, blessed is the one, there's, Seven times in the book of Genesis is a blessed is the one. Blessed is. This is number three of the seven. And so as you can find, so the more we're coming towards the end, the last part of the book, but they're written to you and to me for us to stay courageous. Following Jesus is not just Sunday morning duty. It's 24-7 task. It should be a joyful task that you never tire of doing. Scripture says over and over and over again to endure and persevere. The Bible time and again says to walk with God. Sometimes your walk is brisk. Sometimes it's more of a shuffle. Sometimes you need a walker. Sometimes you need a wheelchair. Sometimes you get to walk in the sunshine. Sometimes you walk in the dark at night. But no matter what, you keep walking, even if you have to get on your hands and knees to feel where the path is in front of you. You don't quit. Because in the, it is the dark of night. Or, you know, sometimes it's because sometimes you're blinded into the world and you can't see. But don't quit enduring. You don't quit. And that's what Jesus is calling us to do. Don't quit. 
He says, I'm, I'm coming like a thief. You've never heard that before, right? He mentions it to the church of Sardis in, in Revelation 3, 3. I'm coming like a thief. Jesus says that in Luke chapter 12. He tells the disciples to be ready, as a servant is, to be ready in the middle of the night, because that's when the thief is going to come. And show his master proud because you're ready for him. And in 2 Peter 3.10, Peter admonishes us that Jesus is coming like a thief. And so you be ready. You're ready for him. You're ready for that thief. You're vigilant. And then he continues off. This is all part of the sixth seal, a sixth bowl. And verse 16, which really goes with 14, and they gathered them together in the place which is in Hebrew called Har Megedon, or your translation may say Armageddon. Where is that? Well, technically the word Har Megedon means mountain of Megiddo. Okay, if you go look on a map and you find Megiddo in Israel, it's a plain, it's a valley, it's not a mountain. It's the opposite of a mountain. It's a flat place. And if you go back through the history of Israel and the book of Judges, in Judges chapter 5, you read the song of, of uh, Deborah. They had a battle at Megiddo. You go back and you read 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. King Josiah died in a battle with the pharaoh of Egypt in the valley of Megiddo. So battles have happened here before. But it's not a mountain. So why would it be called a mountain here? I don't know. So be careful what you do with it, because it says it's a mountain, and there's no mountain there. And so is this a place that doesn't exist yet, or at least not with that name? Be careful what you do with that word. When it happens, you'll know it. There'll be no doubt about you can see it in the Scripture when it happens in real life, when it happens in the sometime in the future. But today, we go, I don't understand. There's no mountain there. We don't know this name of this mountain. And then we get to the seventh bowl. The seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air. We've had the earth. We've had the water. We've had the sun. We've had one river, the great river Euphrates. Now we get the air. And a loud voice came out of the temple again, saying, It is done whether it was this angel or if it was God, somebody pronounced, the angel pronounces the end. The end. Where else in Scripture do we get the end? In John 19.30, Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. Now the, God says, it is done. 
well, if Jesus says it's finished and it's undone here, how can you have two done, how can you have two finish lines? What did Jesus end? What's ending here? Two different things. This is the end of the world as we know it. Where you read in 2 Peter 3.10 and following, it says the world's going to end with fire and destruction. Where we read in Psalm 21, there's a judgment coming for all those. But we're only in 16. Yeah, well, there's more details to follow. So verses chapter 17 18, add details to me. I understand it. Add details to what we just read here. This is like the summary. 17 18 are the details, some of the details. How do we know things are ending? Well, we keep reading in, in Revelation. In chapter 20, this says the end for Satan and his demons that are not found, and for those who are not found in the book of life. We see that in chapter 20, verses 10 and 15. In chapter 22, the end is for those who are found in the book of life. The end, which is a new beginning, and the new heaven and a new earth. Said it is done. Then we get what happened. What the it is? There were flashes of lightning and thunder and earthquakes, and the mountains fled away. We're not found. The islands fled away. The mountains were just weren't found. In Isaiah forty, when Isaiah is talking about making way the way of for the Messiah, the way of the Lord. It says the mountains will be brought low. And so everything's done. Then we get these hailstones. I've, we've seen hail, nothing like this. What's gonna, you'd have to be in an armored bunker to be protected from 100-pound hailstones. I mean, I wouldn't want to be out there when there's a baseball or softball-sized ones. And then you get bowling balls. Bowling balls are at 15, 16 pounds. This is 100 pounds. This is almost 10 times bigger than a bowling ball. Coming down out of this, that ain't, this roof ain't going to hold up. <laughs> okay, things are being destroyed. The world is coming to an end as we know it, as we understand it. There will be no doubt about it. When this happens, you won't have to go, well, is this it? Is this it? Is this headline it in the newspaper? Is this it? There will be no doubt. You go down, this destruction, as you go down through th these seven bowls, are, is total. It's no one-third or one-fourth. It's total. Only with God will you survive. So the end of chapter 15, God filled the temple with smoke, the, holy, the, 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 the heavenly temple with smoke. I said 17, 18 are just rehashing or de more details of what's happening here. When you, then you get to verse 19, how does it end? And after these things, in chapter 19, verse 1, after these things I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. This began with glory to God and praising God. It ends with glory and praising God.
So what do we do with this? There are symbols here. These symbols are true whether the actions are physical or spiritual. God knows the future. We only get glimpses and snapshots. Trust God to fill in the details. When we need to know the details, God will show them to us. Pray that we will all have faith to stand for him if, that, if they come in our lifetime. Pray that you have faith to stand and walk with God today, no matter what comes. It could be cancer. It could be a car crash. It could be a tornado or a flood. It could be old age. It could be a family member cussing you out for speaking about the things of God. It could be the government passing laws that go against the teachings of the Bible. It could be a mob attack. Whatever it is, remember what Paul wrote in Romans. In Romans 8. Remember what, well, starting in 7. It says, remember Paul said, he said, What a wretched man am I. Who will set me free from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on one hand, I am my, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but with the other, the flesh of the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. And then 8.14 says, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear, again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, if we suffer with him so that we will, may also be glorified with him. Jesus suffered on this world. Why shouldn't we? We don't like that. I don't like that. Verse 23, and not only this, but we ourselves, having the first fruit of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoptions as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes what you already see? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. What shall we say to these things? In verse 31, if God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him for us all, how will we not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. Yes, who was raised, who was raised from the dead, who is at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us, for you. Who will spare us from the love of Christ? I'm sorry. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine? 
or nakedness or peril or sword or gun. Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered sheep for to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced neither life, death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No matter what comes, even if all these plagues come to us today, you are in Christ. And if you're not in Christ, you need to be in Christ. Today is a day of salvation. Turn to him. Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near. It's here. Doesn't look like it. We can't see it very well. But we don't have hope for the things we see. We don't have to hope that the Chiefs will win the Super Bowl this year. We already know that. We know what's going to happen because we read it. And with that, we can go and stand up straight, hold our head up, and walk with God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you and praise you for all that you provide. Lord, just help us to turn to you every day on the good days and the bad, when we rejoice and when we mourn. Because you were always there with us. And help us to remember that. Help us to never forget that you never leave us or forsake us. We just pray all this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.